Coming to you from beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona, this is the Drinking Horn Meadcast. Join us as we take a deeper dive into mead and mead culture. Bees tucka tucka about bees tucka 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 about bees. It's bee time. It's bee time. It's bee time. It's time to rhyme about bees. About bees. About bees. About bees. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to <laughs> the Bee Cast. Bee Cast, Bee Cast, Bee Cast. Let me try that again. Welcome, oh. ladies and gentlemen, to the Drinking Horn Mead Cast. Mead Cast, Mead Cast, Mead Cast. That's right. I guess we're starting right now. I guess so. We, I, I think we just did. Yeah, we did. I think we just did. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Um, well, we're not because we still have empty glasses. Ah, that's what I was feeling. I was feeling yeah. that empty glass feeling. I bet you there's a phobia for empty glasses. Ooh. Like, I have no meatophobia. I have no meatophobia. <laughs> so that's the word of the day, kids. kids. I, I have a great fear of empty bottles, empty glasses. Yeah. Is that because you had about a million of them in storage recently? I, yeah, yeah, that yeah, that helps be afraid of glasses for sure. Yeah. People are like, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty? I'm like, don't say that glass is half empty. It scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, let's uh, let's at least introduce this episode. Oh yeah, that's a good call. So, introduce yourself first. Oh yes, mm-hmm. uh, yes. I am not Evan Anderson, and I am not Nick Irvin. So <laughs> we are different people than what we just said. And you have joined in on the Meadcast, and specifically, this episode is the first of a series about what bees. Yeah. Oh. I was worried that I was going to miss that one. Uh, you nailed it. Oh, man. Right in the stinger. <laughs> so you look like you're ready to open that up. I'm like itching over here. Can you tell? I can. Twitching. Yeah. All right. So what are you opening up here? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, really? You don't? No. No, that's part of the fun of it sometimes is that like we, we end up bottling stuff. Um, we'll pull. We'll do experiments. We'll do other things. And we sometimes, once we're done with things, we don't always label them once they've served their purpose. And so... Who knows? What do you think? What do you think by just by the color? If you had to guess it. So I'm looking at a bottle that has a cap on it, but no swing top and no label. Uh, but it is pretty full, and the color is very, very light. Um, so I'm gonna say, just off the top of my head, I think apple. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. We've, we've done a few light colored ones recently. So we have like, it could be apple, could be lemon ginger, could be lime, could be traditional. Uh, that's hence the toughness <laughs> of it. I'm going lime. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. I actually like that idea better than apple. Okay. So open her up. Oh God. Oh man, did that work? Oh, it worked. Okay, it did. Well, I didn't. And there was there was no pop, so I'm guessing lime. Yep, there was no. Tsst, so that takes my apple right out of there because apple is lightly carbonated. Oh, that's an awesome sound. That's the sound of a glass being filled, not us peeing. Just <laughs> almost kind of the same color though. Almost. Oh, that's not appetizing. Ka-clank. All right, so yeah, we're we're gonna sit here and we're gonna talk about bees and. Uh, Skull? Skull. Yeah. 
Lime. Nailed it. Yep. Lime. Nice job, man. Um, it was in your fridge. So. That's true. <laughs> that doesn't mean I know anything more about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I do know is this will be the third time that I have uh, failed at at uh, introducing the episode. So this episode is, <laughs> is going to be all about bees, and this series is going to be all about bees. Specifically, we wanted to start out with the history of bees, and even more specific to that, the history of the honeybee in North America. But we'll touch mm-hmm. on a couple other topics as well. Just daintily. Just a little bit. Dink, just just like, little nuggets for, for possibly future episodes, or for sure future episodes. So Yeah. Definitely for sure. Because people love bees. Mm-hmm. I think. I think so too. So if you love bees, and this is your first time listening to our podcast, mash the subscribe button. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, subscribe so you make sure and get uh, all the cool episodes pop up on your device uh, immediately from the Dreamhorn Meadcast. And if you're listening to this in the you know future and not in June 2020, there's <laughs> probably a bunch of other episodes about bees already up. Bam, go listen to them. Learn about bees. Because bees are, bees are, they're amazing. Here's a little thing. When you make mead, you have to use honey. And in order to have honey, you have to have a honey bee. A honey bee. Yeah. And so you have to, that's funny. I almost, when you said honey bee, I was thinking you were just going to say bee, but that would be improper, right? That would be. Because you were were trying to trick me. (laughs) Don't all bees make, (laughs) don't all bees make honey? Why no, Nick? They sure don't. Hmm. In fact, it's actually much more rare for a bee to make honey than to not make honey. That's crazy because when I think of a bee, and I think when most people, if you say the word bee and they immediately start imagining it, they're picturing that like striped kind of fuzzy bottomed, big black eyed bee that's buzzing around making honey. Oh, you, you, you can drink from the bottle. That's fine. I mean, I'll take your glass, glass and then bottle. You, I mean, whatever. Yeah. As, long as, as long as it makes it in my mouth. Mm. No, but you're right though. Like it is like traditionally, like when you say bee, that's the picture that comes to my mind. I practically can taste honey when you say the word bee, mm. but it's kind of a, it's kind of a fallacy. Cause like, like I said, most of them don't make honey. Yeah. In fact, nothing native to North America makes honey. Yeah. No, no native honeybees here. All the, all the honeybees are, are brought over introduced (laughs) yeah and that was amazing to me i didn't i had no idea i thought for sure that you know i maybe like i was like oh someone back in the day told me that you know bees were brought over they're an exotic species introduced species but i never thought that our bees here in north america none of them made honey right i thought i thought okay well the the majority of what we see nowadays are introduced honeybees but there had to be honey you know roaming around for bears to eat back before you know white settlers came over not Um, north america yeah and possibly not in south america either there Mm. is there is a species or two down there that supposedly like there's one in the in the jungles in the amazon that supposedly makes honey but it's not like a super confirmed thing like mini bugs in the amazon it'll it'll probably die before we ever get a chance to actually find it or anything but. yeah 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 being an entomologist in the jungle has got to be so crazy <laughs> oh man you just like everywhere you look you just get to name things like yeah. left and right like you get tired of naming them probably <laughs> you just start saying like bug number one bug number two right bug number three stupid bugs they're like that one's not even a bug sorry that's actually something else oh, <laughs> oh. So, so i'm going to throw this wrench in mm-hmm. i was doing a little research um as i am growing so fascinated by bees and honey and the science of it and all that stuff like i really am yeah chuck that wrench and so here comes the wrench they found a fossil in nevada of a honeybee 
that used to live here in North America two what? to three million years ago. Nice. Yeah. That's some that's some fresh stuff right there then, huh? Yeah. Some yeah. recent info. Some pretty damn recent info that they see that this bee uh, was apis. It was um, <laughs> one of the honey bees. And I haven't quite read all about this, about hmm. how they know. But I, I read the abstract, if you will, or the introduction to it, and they talk about that it came from uh, Southeast Asia or Southern Asia, moved northeast, did that whole Bering Strait, you know, when there was the land bridge. Yeah, yeah. Or the um, the ice bridge or land bridge or whatever, I don't know Which, what they call it. There's been some recent interesting evidence that is possibly debunking some of the land bridge stuff. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Well, how the bees get over there. A, nobody <laughs> yeah. knows anymore. Who knows anything? Yeah. So somehow that's what they think. They postulate uh, that then came over and then got locked over here and spent a couple million years over here. Uh, and then that was the fossil that they found. And so I'm, I want to look that's more into awesome. it. Yeah. I want to look more into it and I'll give an update uh, maybe in this episode, within this episode or in future episodes. But I just want to throw that little wrench in there. I, I discovered that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think and that was within the last four or five years. It's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Stop playing video games over there. Evan. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I forget what they're naming it. Uh, starts with an N. Um. <laughs> you know, sorry, I got the gurgles. Maybe I shouldn't have eaten lunch right beforehand. Just drink more mead; it'll be fine. right. Get down there, mead. Yeah. Fix, fix whatever it was I ate for lunch. <laughs> Overall, though, n- uh, no honeybees that we know of for at least a couple million years now have produced honey, and that is only a newer revelation that happened within the last you know somewhere around 300 years that's pretty cool it's kind of like i mean there's been a few of those creatures that have possibly previously historically you know been on north america and for whatever reason went away whether it's like humans ate them all or whatever you know (laughs) and then like later on people bring them back Mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting thinking that yeah you know the earth is kind of old it's kind of old. It's gone through some cycles. It's been through some shit. Yeah, yeah. It's had some things appear and disappear and reappear. Yeah. 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 You can get a whole species shrugged off this planet without it noticing. Yeah. We had no idea. Yeah. So that's cool. I, that I thought that cool. was really neat. And so I uh, look forward to more information on that. Maybe on one of our Monday night meads, if you're listening oh, to this yeah. and we're still doing Monday night meads, um, I want to start doing some bee news and honey news. So. Bees. All right. That's there. enough of the beesness. Actually, it's not. We nope. got a lot more. Nope. The whole thing. The whole episode is beesness. <laughs> no. If you don't like bees, turn this episode off. Yeah. We'll skip Actually, to Actually, no, it. no, no. Continue listening because we're going to show you why they're lovely, lovely creatures. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. I hope so. That's our goal. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. So there are no native honeybees, except for this whole story that I told, here in North America. So they were brought here. And um, where were they brought from? Yeah, like everything we have currently, they were brought here. <laughs> yeah, and they, right? were, they were brought over, I mean, you, you said there's, there's a little more evidence possibly in Florida of something maybe being a little bit different from the current line of thought. But it was uh, 1622 when yeah. the bees sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. they, were, they were brought over here by, I'm going to guess that's, I mean, it's Europeans, but it was british yeah the spanish the the colonization um when it was going on so yeah 1622 uh there was a ship log that had like its items that were being brought you know her majesty's ship blah 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 i don't remember what ship it was which is fine i'm okay not knowing those details but 
the the log of items that were being brought over to Jamestown, Virginia, in that was bees. And so that's our first recorded history of knowing that, that you know, bees came over here. Um, right, the honeybee. We're going to use the word bee a lot mm, to describe lots of things. Mm, let's but, try uh, not to. We're, let's, we're going to try not to. Yeah, so honeybee. Yeah, the first uh, honeybees brought over. Really, probably the first bees in general that were brought over. I don't think any non-honeybees. purposefully. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah. purposefully. Because a lot of the other bees that are out there are, are solitary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so bringing over hives, there was mm-hmm. there's no real such thing as a hive for, for a majority of native bees that yeah, are solitary. Yeah. And so... They brought them over, and this is like a, a multi-week journey, like, you know, three to six weeks to get over here. And so I'm just imagining... Bees on a boat. <laughs> Got a, bees on a boat. Bees bee, on a boat. Stinging everybody so you hope you float. Bees on a boat. Bees on a boat. <laughs> Ain't no way you're protecting yourself with no coat. Man, it's like when we would do, like, the overnight bee runs, you know? And, like, when we're moving bees and you're moving bees, you're doing it at night because they're a lot more likely to all be inside of their hive, so you lose fewer bees in the process. Um, and we do it at night, and it's always just been like this, you know, the most terrible uh, accident you could ever imagine. And then add bees. Like, it just always makes me nervous <laughs> driving around with bees because if something happened, like, you're stuck. Like, you're, you're very much in that. And so, like, but on a boat, like, you're really stuck. Like, if they decide to swarm or get angry or something, like, it just sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do not want to be on that. You get on the boat and, like, you're just hanging out and you take off from dock. You're like, bye, honey. I'll be back in a couple years. And you're like, cool. Well, I wonder what's on this boat. And then someone says there's, like, hives of bees on the boat. And you're like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> Why do I always end up on the bee boats? Every time. If it's not goats, it's bees. I swear. <laughs> Bad boy. Um, <laughs> goats and can... bees. Jesus. <laughs> Geese. Um, so you're imagining, or I'm imagining coming across the ocean, uh, 1622, you've got, uh, these hives and they've been, you know, they've been plugged or whatever. Um, and there's a certain way that all bees at that time were, what would you call it? Uh, reared or, or, or kept, I guess. Kept, so, yeah. so beekeepers in that day. They didn't have hives what me and you think of like the boxes that we use today. With nice little easy to remove trays and all that. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Old beekeeping was not nearly so friendly to the bees. That's true. We'll talk about that too. But so let's, let's talk about the, the capsule or the the, the uh, container of bees. And it really like, I didn't put all of these things together until we were actually doing some of the research for this episode. But, um. And I'm and I'm blanking out on the name right now, so I'm hoping Nick's gonna help me. Kelp. No. <laughs> Damn it. Skep. Stupid. This lime must have been an experimentally strong batch. Yeah. Yeah. No, skep, not kelp. But yeah. I was trying to mouth it to you. I didn't I didn't pick it up. <laughs> you almost did. My, four my lip reading isn't so good. Hey, you got the four letters right. I'm a dyslexic lip reader. Lestistic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dyslexic. Um, yes, a skep. Yeah. So a skep, which is cool. Cause it's like when you uh, also, like you said at the beginning, like when you think of bee, when I say beehive, the picture that probably comes into your head is actually a skep. Yeah. And it's that, I mean, how would, so it's, it's described when written as like an upside down basket sort of a thing, but it's that like little ridged upside down basket. <laughs> I'm using my hands for a lot of descriptors. So, but that works really well for everybody listening. 
yeah, uh, visual podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your hands were going in a motion that has those ridges. And I think, I, I'm sure everyone knows that you see it in cartoons, you see it in old drawings. Like when there's a beehive, it's this bigger at the bottom and slowly working its way to be skinnier at the top with those little rounded uh, bumps and then yeah. a the little hole in the bottom kind of thing, which is actually untrue about it as well. Um, yeah. So that's a skep, and we think of that, and that's the international sign of beekeeping too. Yeah, and it's just like it's an it is it's a woven basket with a lid on it that's upside down basically, yeah. and that's how they would transport their bees. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome until you have to get honey out of those things. Yeah, and then it's really not awesome for the bees. Yeah, it's a destructive thing because so these days we can you can lift those panels up and check on the bees and scrape the honey and put it back. And we have separators, right? So I can actually have whole boxes that don't have any brood in them whatsoever. That, that just have honey. And there's no that. way there's no way to like separate it in those skeps because it's just everything all in one. So to go and harvest it, you're tearing apart the heart of the hive basically. And so it's it's we put on excluders. And so it's this uh, in-between boxes. I'll leave the bottom two boxes usually for brood and everything else to, to live in, for the queen to live in. And she lays her eggs in there. And she's significantly larger than the other bees. So we put this like metal excluder, which just looks like a, like a sieve. It's like a filter. I, yeah. Yeah. It's just like a bee filter. And so it lets in worker bees because they're small enough, but the queen can't get into there. Oh. And so the bees, you know, up above that, that that sieve that separator that excluder will fill in nothing but honey Hmm. and it's kind of interesting some of those bees will actually just end up living in that upper chunk and they actually like vomit the honey from one bee to another across this divide sometimes even they're like too big to get in the hole they're like hey buddy come here come here i I can't fit today i know i I got i gotta do carry this I got, I got to get on the bee treadmill and, and lose a little weight. I can't get through this little excluder. So here, take this for me. Yeah. And what was that noise they make? <laughs> oh God. If you've ever heard it, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry for all those people who had it turned up just a little too much oh, yeah. in their car. We're not even going to equalize that sound. No, I'm going to actually turn it up a little bit. It's it's like a Spotify exclusive if your sound's just all over Spotify the place. Spotify exclusive. <laughs> so I actually have been with you to the hives a couple times and hopefully many more journeys, but I've never seen that excluder and I didn't even know about that. That's really cool. Yeah. And so, but it makes it easy because then when you go to harvest that honey, you have no bee loss. Cause when they would harvest these skeps, like they would essentially tear the entire hive apart and basically like, you know, get the honey out of it and the rest of the hive gets destroyed. Yeah. Um, which is pretty much traditionally until like not the, the Langstroth is like the, the current hive that we use. And there was a couple more before that, like a top bar hive, which is basically like a big trough that has, you know, uh, separated trays in it, not separated, but you know, little slats in it. You can do the same thing. You can pull up like one piece at a time and look mm. at it, move them around, um, augment the hive as ever you need to. But like those, those skeps, you couldn't do that. You just destroyed the hive. And in Africa, there is, um, oh, it's the bird. I know we've talked about this before. Oh yeah. The honey, uh, not alerter, the honey guide, honey guide. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually like, it, it does this to badgers. It also does it to humans. It has a very specific call. And then whether you're a badger or a human, apparently we both respond the same way to go, honey badger. And, uh, <laughs> this bird will signal either human or whatever. And then it will actually lead them to a beehive. And in the process of getting honey from the hive, you completely destroyed the hive. 
Cause that's just how, like when you find a wild hive, most often when they're harvesting it, like it just gets destroyed, which is to the benefit of this honey guide. Cause it goes and it eats the wax. It eats the, the, I don't know if it actually eats the wax. That could, that could have been incorrect. Well, it, it uses it. I think I read. I think it uses it in its nest and then it eats the larvae and all that stuff as well as probably eats some honey. Who doesn't love honey? Yeah. So it's, it, but it's traditionally very detrimental to the bees. And so mm-hmm. to have these, these, you know, the modern hive, the Langstroth hive, which came about, what, 1860s, mm-hmm. um, was a huge development for bees because now you don't have to damage them so much. You can you can be very, very gentle. You can access your bees. You can take honey out and you cannot kill a single thing, which is great. It, it increased the capacity of anybody who's producing honey significantly because you're not destroying the thing that's making the product that you want. Yeah, much more sustainable. And it's kind of, to me, it's it's... God, this learning about the different, even just the different hives is, is so interesting to me because it's something that, you know, I'm sure there's like uh, hindsight is 2020 kind of thing where like, why weren't we doing something that was less destructive before? Because obviously people thought when I went in through the bottom of this skep and got my honey, I was like, well, I have to make another skep and find some more bees, you know, and, and wait for them to build all this out. So anyway, that's, so that's what they were brought over, you know, to bring it back to what we were talking about, these skeps or these, these, what you normally think of as, as honey hives, um, or beehives, (laughs) honey beehives, uh, were (laughs) brought over and they were somehow like waxed over or plugged, um, to keep them in there. But that woven material was breathable. So mm-hmm. they were able to last that three to six week journey over and not, you know, get out and, and, you know, I wonder if they tried to time it, like doing it over winter or something oh. like that. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. if you had a, a skep and you were going to travel it, I mean, winter is generally a worse time for storms in the ocean. Mm. So I would love to know like what time of year, if they, they picked a certain time, like just like we picked nights to move them. I'm wondering if they picked like winter time to try to sail it. So that like, all right, we can bring these things over in the winter time because the bees are all just going to stay inside and happy. And, it, you know, because yeah. when we tried to take them last summer, boat didn't make it. Yeah. 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 Or whatever, you know, like it'd be, it'd be hmm. interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the month. I know 1622 is when that log was, you know, talked about them bringing it over. But that's, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I wonder if that went into forethought. So you you go across the ocean with these skeps, these bees, um, you bring them over Jamestown. So you're bringing basically... You're bringing over both colonies and colonies yeah. <laughs> over across. Colony squared. Colony squared. Ooh, like that's like multiplication and stuff. Oh, that got beyond me there. I don't know. I don't okay, know. sorry. My, my brain hurts from math. I need some more meat. Um, my and brain hurts. <laughs> pour me up here as we take a break to fill up Nick's glass again. Oh, God. Okay, that's that's plenty for now. Goodbye, Nick. <laughs> Ah, this lime meat is delicious. Oh, I do love it. I hope there's some left by the time people are listening to this, because we might have drank it all, because it's delicious. Oh, the lime, yeah. I was like, this bottle's almost gone. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're like, it is gone. What do you mean? Yeah, I don't know why you left that. You need to fill yourself back up. Oh, yeah. So they get across here, and um, it's another interesting part is that these bees were not brought over for pollination. No. They were brought over for honey. Just for sugar. So it was a supplement to cane sugar. And so that's, to me, is kind of crazy because we think, obviously, you know, 
like we think of what a bee looks like, like we think of what a beehive looks like. When we also think of bees, we think of pollination because as kids we're told, you know, they pollinate flowers. Mm-hmm. And but this was not their purpose when they came over here to to the quote unquote new world, even though people were here forever. Um, it was just to make honey. Mm-hmm. And like we don't often think about that, but they <clears throat> like historically they've been probably a huge bees in general. Now, not just honeybee I'm speaking of, but we're probably a huge proponent to the diversity of, of angiosperms that we have now, to flowers mm. that we have now, because they could, I mean, they facilitate that so much better. There's a lot of things that are pollinated by wind, but wind is a extremely inefficient pollinator. Cause <laughs> yeah, it's a you, little random. If you release everything on the wrong day and the wind's blowing the wrong direction, like, well, no kids that year. <laughs> yeah. That's a hilarious way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but those are, I mean, if it's not for agriculture purposes for us, if it's not a grain, it's most likely pollinated by an insect. Yeah. Like even if you're thinking almonds, you're thinking, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge business is pollinating almond fields. Yeah. And that didn't even start till like the 1930s, I think, or yeah. some, 1940s, something like that. We weren't even growing, we weren't planting large swaths of almond trees until no, then. No, so, it's, it's the monocropping that has, has, has led to some of that stuff. But I might be, I might be jumping ahead here. We, yeah, well, ahead. I did it. Yeah, I did the jump. It's jumped. <laughs> it's been done now. So let's jump back. So we're on the East Coast. Uh, we're in the colonies. Uh, we're being we. <laughs> you and I. Hello. Uh, we would have been a lot nicer than those people. Oh, God, I hope so. Man, <laughs> oh, I've been learning so much about the atrocities. But uh, the... <clears throat> the bees there are for honey specifically, and the Langstroth hives are not there even for a while, for like a couple hundred years. Yeah. Uh, looking at my notes here. Yeah, not even until the 1860s. Yeah. Um, and so we don't have this thing where where we're using bees as pollinators like we do now. We're just making honey. And kind of an interesting thing is it took 200 years for those honeybees to appear on the West Coast. So... They traveled with humans, basically, because it took 200 years after those settlements were there was the whole gold rush and people started going to California. And so bees really were tied pretty uh, pretty specifically to humans, it seems like. Yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting that they didn't move faster. Um, but as like a species, they weren't migrating that far away. But it, it also does make sense because like even, I mean, so especially with those, those skep hives, there was basically one way to have another hive after that skep after you go to harvest that skep is you're hoping that it already swarmed before mm. you harvest that skep because a, a hive will swarm once it becomes overpopulated it feels like oh we got too many bees and this cavity that we're living in is not big enough and so that's when they decide to swarm like we don't fully understand all the the mechanics of how they choose hmm. quote unquote to be able to to do that um but it is an overpopulation factor on some level wow. and so they'll just branch off and so with these skeps like you're killing the hive at the end of every year to get that honey and so if it doesn't swarm you're not replacing that hive and you have to go out and catch a new one which i imagine catching a hive back in the day would have just been i really like my bee suit like i like it a lot <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they were wearing bee suits back then? I highly doubt it. Just a bunch of clothes. Yeah, I mean they didn't have like mesh. Mesh is a kind of kind of a tricky it hasn't mm. been around for that long. Mm. Like maybe they were doing like a, a like a thin cloth or something over the face to help prevent bees getting in there, but you see some of these like more, you know, some of these rural tribes in like the Philippines and stuff like that where they have all these native honeybees and like they they harvest without 
anything. You know, yeah. they're just up there smoking them and cutting cutting comb out. And it's like sometimes like perched on the edge of a cliff, you know. Oh, so it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine that this is something that is uh, is also akin to the coevolution of humans and bees because we do see that honeybees are pretty docile. Like like uh, they in are. comparison, They're, they are in general extremely docile. It's not like a wasp. Exactly. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Wasps are assholes. And I still see. <laughs> yeah, they are. They oh. also eat meat, and whereas bees are pretty much vegetarians. Yeah. Yeah. Bees are are pollinitarians. Yeah. Pollinitarians. Or pulp. We'll talk about like kind of that stuff. I want to I want to do a, an episode all on like honey and the science of honey. Um, but yeah, yeah, <clears throat> wasps are assholes for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag that's Screw the new hashtag. Hashtag wasps are assholes. Yeah. Uh, but the S's are the ampersands or the no the, the at symbols. What are we talking about right now? Okay, so to bring us back, you know, you're paused. <laughs> We're gonna pause now for a break for some B news. I don't know if that was like a news sound or a fart sound. We'll find out once we hear it in the end. Yeah. Wow. Okay. People will comment. They'll let us know. And edit. Uh, <laughs> so they're they're migrating across, and you're right. Like if you destroy that hive, you got to hope that. Uh, so let me they ask this have question: to Swarm, or you have to go catch a wild one? Do you know when a when bees, what you're calling swarming, which is basically them going and finding a new place, mm-hmm. when they do that, do you know, like if you're a beekeeper and you're like, oh, my hive's gone, are they like gone or do they like... They don't go super far. So in generally when a hive swarm, in generally, nice, yeah. in general, when a hive swarms, it will <laughs> not go more than about five miles before trying to set up its next shop. Okay. So they don't go super far, and which do, is which is like bees in their normal roaming of things, like when they're going for flowers and stuff like that, usually maintain about a five mile radius at max for their their distance, how far they want to go for honey. Hmm. I think most of it's within two to three miles, but as much as five. Yeah. That, so I mean, that makes sense. It's not very far. Yeah. No, but like you got to find the hive again. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> oh, ah, I learned some cool stuff about that too. But about um, getting a bee and putting it in the freezer for just a second and then tying a very thin, light string to it and a little t- piece of tissue paper and then releasing it. And once it warms back up, it flies off to its hive and you chase this piece of tissue paper through the forest to find where the hive is. Whoa. No, I had no idea. That's freaking awesome though. Yeah, I really want to try it. I've never like actually done it. Wow. But I want to try it. But you better hope it's not going its max 30 miles per hour. You're going to lose it pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, dude, especially me. I'm like, wait. Wait. Nick, Nick, run after that. (laughs) I need to eat my sandwich. I need to eat a sandwich first. (laughs) I need some chocolates. No, I'm talking about how bees naturally learn to find. It's called, uh, there's a name for it. Um, They will fly out about a foot away from the hive. They'll go back to the hive. They'll fly out about five feet from the hive. They'll go back to the hive. They'll fly out, you know. 20 feet from the hive and that time when they're flying out they're hovering facing the hive they freaking teach themselves how to get back to the hive and it takes a while they go out further and further and further it's this learning thing when that's we, so awesome when I, we move them so like we moved that hive not too long ago um we moved a hive in a guy's property because he needed to trim the tree right so we didn't we moved it but i didn't need to move it out of that orchard i just needed to move it like 30 feet away from the tree that i had it so I moved the hive for the next two days, bees would leave the hive and go back to the spot where the Mm, hive was. Yeah. And it was becoming a bit of a problem because I moved them so that this guy could trim this tree. And now he's just got this 
pile of angry pissed off bees wondering like what 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 happened because you move them overnight so they just wake up in the morning like oh i'm gonna go out i'm gonna forage i'm gonna come back home and then they're like like i've got a full crop where is my home yeah like i I need to get rid of this (laughs) i need to my legs are covered in pollen my crop is full of nectar where is my home nowhere to dump it yeah it's like trying to no no so they're good though i mean they're really like they're they're they use the, what is it? They use the sun. They use possibly the like magnetosphere. You know, yeah. they use they use all kinds of different methods to yeah. and, orient themselves. Yeah, and and little um, you know points of interest kind of thing like trees and, Turn, and big tree on the left stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So wow, uh, that was a cool tangent, but it was a tangent. Oh um, yeah, but. I, I, I can't wait to talk about bees because there's so many things that I had no idea and I'm really digging. And hopefully the people listening here, uh, if you have any thoughts, ideas, if you know a lot about bees or if you want some kind of specific talk about an episode, we will dive in and, and talk about it. Yeah. Or if even we got something wrong, hit us up. Let us know. That's true. I'm not always going to be right. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> so this swarming, I was wondering, so when they swarm, they go off and find a new place, but is there bees left over in that yes. original hive? Okay. So almost it's- always. Cause it's that whole, like, we've just outgrown our home. Mm-hmm. We need to go ahead and form a new home. And what they'll do is a lot of the bees will stay there. The current queen will often leave. Like it can, I think it can happen in multiple different ways. Sometimes like they'll just start raising another queen in the hive mm. and it's overpopulated and they raise another queen and that new queen takes them and leaves off. And I think other times it's the queen that was in there already takes a bunch and moves off. And then the bees that are left over will go ahead and raise another queen. Yeah. Cause the, the female bees can just raise a queen at will pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's all about what they're fed. So it's, it's the kind of. Kind of, yeah. I've got an article that just came out in May 2020 that oh. talks about that. Oh, we might all be wrong about royal jelly. No kidding. Yep. I'm yeah. gonna talk about it on Monday Night Mead. Dropping knowledge bombs. Yeah, because we're supposed to stop talking about bees biologically here. We, you gotta you gotta listen to the other podcast for that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh yes. Oh yeah. There's so much cool shit. Um, these are we gonna kind of overlap. Yeah, we get excited. Yeah. So this, we'll just talk a little bit more about the migration of yes. the bees. So so it took about five to six miles per year mm-hmm. uh, for them to move across to the West Coast, uh, to California, which is pretty much the same as humans. So humans were bringing them and they were like moving naturally. Who knows like how much of one or the other is probably a lot of humans mm-hmm. um, bringing the hives and the skeps and then eventually the Langstroth and all that stuff. But uh, brought them over and now we've got European honeybees or aka Western honeybees, um, Apis mellifera, um, that are, that are all over mellifera. No, Latin is a dead language. Don't ever let anybody correct you. Well, if I say mellifera, fera sounds like iron ferris, but, uh, apis means bee Mm -hmm. and mella mellifera or uh, mellifera. I'm going to say mellifera. That's way better. Say what you want. Don't let let me correct you. I'm going to say apis melamalopolo. Yeah. Well, so (laughs) melopolopolo. I once knew a guy in Brooklyn. His name was Melalopolo. Yeah, Apis, huh? Hey, Apis, you want some Apis? Come over here. I got that gabagoo. Uh, so, wow. Um, hit me up with some more lime. Oh, it's gone. Oh, you want some my lime? No, I don't, actually. So, uh, Apis uh, means bee. Uh, Melifera, uh, Mellifera <laughs> is um, honey-bearing. Mm-hmm. And so, there are some subspecies, something like 30 different subspecies. But now, that honeybee 
has become so important to us and so widespread, you know, it's all over the world, basically everywhere. Um, and it is a, a docile makes a lot of, uh, honey is great at collecting, uh, propolis. And we'll talk about that sometime too. I'd love to talk about propolis, um, and pollen. And they're just so good at what they do. And they're, you know, relatively calm that they become, you know, Oh yeah. 90% of plants that we know of in some form depend on these European or Western honeybees. Mm -hmm. Docile, docile honeybees require no suits to work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've seen so many pictures lately of that since Mademoiselle. Yes. Yes. She, she's one of them. There's ever since starting to work with, uh, drinking horn meteries, Instagram, I get all these photos and videos and stuff of people just like, there's a bare hand, like pointing at a bee at a hive. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) You crazy (laughs) man. Put a glove on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so this docileness, this this good propensity at pollination and creating honey has just caused this uh, honeybee to become ingrained in, in North America, just like it was in pretty much all other places. Now, you mentioned... Very ingrained. Like, it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a necessity of the current way that we manage and produce our food. It's, you know, it's it's gone from, like, we like sweet things, so we keep this bee with us, to, like, our food supply is heavily reliant upon the honeybee yeah because of our tastes a lot too you know and because like, of how we've done agriculture too yeah because you know? it's like normally mm. there's lots of other pollinators out there but when you monocrop things out you you eliminate a lot of the pollinators that would normally help you out that's a great point that's uh, called shooting yourself in the foot johnny yeah oh yeah or, or at least aiming it at your foot and putting your finger on the trigger because yeah. if that trigger gets pulled aka if bee collapse happens honeybee collapse happens then that is shooting ourselves in the foot for sure yeah yeah absolutely so but that's that's talk for another time we'll talk about some bee problems and stuff actually we'll talk about a little bit in this episode but i want to kind of transition into um a little bit of the history of bees going um we're going to kind of transition or uh, quentin tarantino this and go backwards to the world uh bee uh, kind of history and, and i'm leaving this up to you because i know nothing about this well and there's there's to be honest with you there's a lot of room for studies to be done with it hmm. because it's like they the current belief is that it came the the honeybee originated somewhere between the far east you know you have middle east near east far east it was which i'm not exactly (laughs) sure where those lines are drawn but uh somewhere between far east all the way over to like southeast asia Hmm. so somewhere kind of in that that gigantic mountain range beautiful area i'm just generalizing homogenizing all of it um (laughs) but like it's uh Definitely origin or origins are somewhere in that area for the honeybee. Um, a lot of evidence, maybe not, but at least currently a lot of evidence is kind of looking towards somewhere possibly like Philippines, sort of a South Asia kind of area, um, mostly because there's what, seven species of honeybee, something like that. And all but one live there as you know, they're native to that area. Hmm. So anywhere that you see like a huge amount of diversity within a species, you're going to kind of assume that like, it's a a good likelihood that that's its origins, or at least the oldest place that they currently, you know, habitate that they also used to habitate. Yeah. Because you're going to imagine that 
you know, a place like the Philippines, like that, that is not like an easy necessarily like trek, Mm -hmm. um, back and forth. And so like, it's much easier to think that they expanded from that area than came to that area in multiple different ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just kind of like the most, you know, the shortest, shortest link to the answer is generally this, what is it? The simplest answer is generally the best or Mm -hmm. some sort of Americanism. (laughs) No, yeah. Simplest answer is usually the most likely. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's a thing where, where we see, I'm sorry, you, so you're talking about the, yeah, just, I mean, that's, I mean, and they, so they, or they originated out of there and then there's a good chance that like, we, there's probably a lot of coevolution going on between humans and bees throughout all of this. Um, it's an excellent energy source, sugar, and like where else in, in just like the natural world can you find sugar in those kind of concentrations? Like you can find in honey, right? Like. Yeah, nowhere. There's, there's nothing else that's like it. No, uh-uh. it is. It is absolutely unique product. Yeah, yeah. So that coevolution happened. Um, people started, you know, not domesticating, but starting to utilize it. Mm-hmm. And they, I'm, I'm imagining, it'd be interesting to to check out kind of the history of did did they was there natural so, or uh, sorry artificial selection? Like, was there humans that were had a couple hives? One wasn't producing like the others. So they destroyed it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of artificial selection. Absolutely. That's yeah. where we got, that's how we got bees to be, frankly, like as nice as like a lot mm. of our modern, like the True. English honeybee being like one of the super nice bees. It's just because when they had an angry one, they would eliminate the hive. Yeah. And so, and it's, we, we've got a super angry hive. We're not going to eliminate it though, folks, because it's, it's fun to have a little fear in your life. Every <laughs> now and then. Yeah. One of the hives is, is definitely, I don't know, a nice word would be energetic. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a euphemism. I like If you're listening to this and you haven't seen any of our YouTube videos or haven't seen the bee specific ones, uh, what we're talking about, you can check out in winterizing bees part. I think in both parts you can see it, but part two is, uh, really where you get like a, a good idea of the energetics of this hive. Very, <laughs> it is a very productive hive too. Yeah. So like, you know, traits, don't always just work in one direction. So like, yeah, this hive is particularly angry, but it also produces, like it can produce 50 pounds a month. It's a crazy hive. Mm, that's so we actually need to go down probably this week and pull some honey. We should make a new video. I'd love to. Friday. Yeah. Um, you're talking traits. And so I was wondering about some of the, uh, so we're talking about not only the history of bees, honeybees in North America, but we have to talk about worldwide and there are some differences yeah. in what we've got here and what other places in the world have. Which some of that speciation, right? We mentioned how many like different, and, and so this, this gets, this starts to get into like subspecies of things where you have, you know, mellifera, apis mellifera, but then you also have like, you know, it's a, when you get into subspecies and you get like the Chinese honeybee and the English honeybee and the Russian honeybee and the Africanized honeybee. I don't know why it's just not an African honeybee, but like why you get all that, that variation going on in there, possibly not just a natural sort of thing. Some of that could have been us as humans taking, taking whatever we used as skeps, you know, hundred thousand plus years ago and transporting our bees around with us as we went. And so that the, the isolation then of those individual hives started not quite a speciation, but started changing things for the bees themselves, which 
little little did we realize how much of an effect some of that was going to have in our current day life. Yeah. Because there's some behaviors that that are good in some areas and and are absent in others. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, in these differences and, and, you know, some species have some attitudes and behaviors and some have, you know, are lacking those. We've got uh, a couple examples and I don't know if you want to kind of talk about some of those examples of say what a honeybee in Asia, their, their behaviors are different than the ones we have here. Oh yeah. I think that, I think the best one is, is most recently represented by the, the Asian giant hornet that mm-hmm. is causing a mostly mostly a media stir more than it is causing any sort of an actual biological concern no yeah um so like and and so it's a very big hornet you know it's almost two inches long it's a it's a cow of a hornet thing is huge <laughs> like it would probably scare the piss out of me Murbuzz. Murbusting. You know, oh, like, oh you're the most terrible creature i wish i could milk you oh <laughs> anyway sorry um but so it's huge, and when when this, if it finds a beehive and is able to make it back to its own hive, this hornet, then it's going to bring the rest of the colony, and mm. they will decimate a hive. Yeah. What is it like? They can they can pop the heads off bees at like a hundred a minute or something like that. It's just, it's insane. They're a killing machine. You do sure. not want you do not want that scout to make it back to tell others to come to no, this hive. You have to kill that scout. Um, and so what those bees in that area do is they've learned to handle this wasp by killing that scout and honeybees are little, you're talking a centimeter, you know? So like one bee, one honeybee is a a seventh or a 10th, the size of these, these wasps. But what they'll do is despite their smaller size, they are slightly less temperature, um, sensitive. So they can, I don't know the actual numbers on it, but it's like, it's about a three degree temperature difference between what the honeybee can stand without dying, the Asian honeybee versus what the wasp can stand without dying. And so when this scout gets into the hive, looks around for a second, they basically grab it. Everybody jumps on top of it and they start vibrating without flapping their wings. And what that does is it starts to create heat. And what they're trying to do is cook this wasp. And so they go and they generate heat and that heat causes the wasp to die. But because of their slightly greater heat tolerance, the, the honeybees are for the most part fine yeah. or at least way more fine than they would be if that wasp made it out. Yeah. A couple of those inner bees might give up their life to it, but like, it's all for fine. the colony yeah. It's for the colony. Yeah. That's crazy. And so, but that's a trait that, that we haven't seen here in North America. It's yeah. Only those bees. Yeah. Only, only in the, the Asian honeybee do we, do we see that sort of trait, which is there's, there's other parts too. It's that, which is also the, the Asian honeybee most ironically enough. So this is something that's like actually a threat to bees. Um, it's possibly one of the causes of colony collapse. It's one of the most imminent threats currently to our bees and therefore to our agriculture as I, well. I might know what you're talking about. It is the veromite. <laughs> ah, I might know. So yeah, so the veromite. It's funny. We're punny. <laughs> he might know. Bee puns. But it's so it's a little little teeny tiny red mite. You know, you can think mites are, mm, I'm going to, 
call it like a tick basically, but like smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're, they're tend to affect things, especially like, like lizards, um, bugs, things with plate armor, actually, it kind of mm. seems to be. Yeah. And they go and they wedge themselves in between these plates. Cause even bees, they look fuzzy, right? But it's, they actually are kind of plate armored and, uh, they wedge themselves in between these and they, they feed off the, the juices of the bee. Um, yeah, which is not good. And it's not good in itself, but it also has a, a secondary effect that they tend to introduce viruses mm. to these bees. So the varro mite as itself won't necessarily kill a colony, but it does weaken the colony's immune system as a whole by sucking, you know, literally the lifeblood out of the bees. Um, so they're not as likely to be able to fight something. And so that's a huge problem for the English honeybee, um, which is one of the most common pollinators that we use. But once again, the Asian honeybee um, lives symbiotically, basically, with these guys. They they have them present in their hives, but they are not affected detrimentally by them like the the European honeybee is. And it's a huge issue because people are now, a lot of beekeepers are actually treating their bees with a miticide, which is you know, a fancy word for a very specifically targeting pesticide in your bees, which is not super great, really. Yeah. Like we, we need a, we need another way to be able to handle this. And so some people are actually suggesting, um, bringing in more of the Asian honeybees. Mm. And I mean, it, it's possible that actually this entire problem was started further back than that because we were only using for the most part like european honeybees here but as we started to get some issues with colony collapse stuff which was most likely could have been triggered by pesticide use is probably a huge probably a huge portion of that i mean i lost hives as a kid to somebody spraying you know a quarter mile away or spraying their house and then on a windy day and it wasn't a quarter mile but like eighth of a mile 16th of a mile whatever it was few blocks away and they were pest, you know, spraying pesticides at their house and we lost three hives. Yeah. Just wind, wind was blowing in the wrong direction and mm-hmm. it totally whacked them. So that probably presented the initial problem. We started bringing in Asian honeybees, um, just because of a lack of enough European honeybees to be able to pollinate everything. As we bring them in, we essentially smallpox blanketed our other bees by mm-hmm. introducing viruses that they were not able to handle, not able to stave off and really just not thinking about it as humans that like you can't necessarily get these two subspecies next to each other without having cross-contamination issues. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the reality of that is, is that, you know, we have a lot to learn about, you know, not only behaviors, like you said, with the giant Asian uh, hornet, but also genetics of being able to fight this off because absolutely there is now more and more research and grants and stuff going out there to look at the genetics of fighting off this veramite. Um, and that could be a big thing to look at the genetics of those, those Asian, um, Asian, uh, Asian honeybee that can make it through it. Yeah. yeah. Populations over there. And I actually just recently heard a guy, um, a, a major beekeeper, kind of the head of beekeeping in the Barbados area or in Barbados. And That's an awesome title. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I am the, the head beekeeper here in the Barbados in islands. Barbados. Yeah. Yeah. Cush job. Yeah. Or pretty, sounds like a pretty nice job. Oh, it's probably terrifying. But they, yeah. Well, they, they, he said they had a problem with veromites, but they had no way of dealing with it. Um, the, the miticide and all this other stuff that, that, you know, chemicals were too expensive to import from mainland United States. So they just suffered through this big loss. But now he's like, they're not that big of a problem. 
because yeah. the bee population has naturally, you know, come back and, and bounced back with immu- not immunity, but like more immunity to this. Which to this is issue. the way that nature works, right? Yeah, like yeah. something comes in and takes care of a portion of the population and those that are protected from it are able to re- <laughs> You know, we're able to basically repopulate and cause others to not be as affected by things. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and maybe we'll have a whole, I don't know, episode on some of the issues that, that bees have um, with this whole colony collapse. We're learning a lot. And, and we're ver- learning a lot. Veromites are, be- are, you know, what's it called? Uh, rising to the top. Like it's separating all the issues and veromites are right there at the top. Like we're yeah. thinking that's one of the huge ones. Pesticides is too, but that's more of a thing. Like it's like. It's an isolated incident kind yeah, of thing. Generally. An intense isolated incident, yeah. whereas the veromites something we can't quite see. We don't know. You know, it's not traveling next door from a farm. It's traveling you know, right. all over the place. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and yeah, it really is. It's, it's most likely the, the leading cause, at least under current thought, it's, you know, pretty much the leading cause of colony collapse disorder is, is the veromite. Yeah. So it's a problem. Yeah, so the title of this episode, History of Honeybees in North America, has gone all over the place, <laughs> but yeah. in a good way. It has. It has. I think in a, in a great way. And so this is a little introduction we wanted to give you guys on on bees because we absolutely love them. We couldn't have our mead. You couldn't have your mead without it because we couldn't have honey. And so bees are so ingrained in, in our culture and in, in our libations culture that we have to have a a lot of episodes, I think, moving into the future on on bees. They're also just kick ass. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, the more I learn about them, the more I think like bees, the science of bees, and the science of honey itself, and the process has become pretty damn cool. It really has, and that's where we'll definitely get into some more. I want to get in on some native bee stuff too. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important aspect of things. It absolutely um, is. Yeah, native bees are uh, um, provide services that we use that the European or Western or whatever honeybee can't do. Can't do. Wrong size. Yeah. Wrong size, wrong behaviors. There's yeah. something about using like, like supersonic abilities. So yeah, <laughs> stay tuned for that. Yeah. yeah. Bumblebee. The bumblebee is not just adorable, but it's pretty damn cool in what it can do with it's flowers. very advanced. Yeah. That's another one on our Monday night meat cast yeah. that I think I'm going to talk about this week. They've got thermal vision. Yeah, thermal vision. Oh, thermal I didn't even vision. know that. Yeah, apparently there's actually different parts of the, you know, the the petals on a flower will actually have different temperatures. Mm. So on top of them being able to see like ultraviolet on mm-hmm. these, which we can't see, yeah. they also have thermal. So like they can see a pattern in this flower. You're giving it, it away. I know, I know. You're giving uh, it away. Okay, we okay. got to tease them a little bit. So learn more about the thermal properties. There's cool stuff that bees see. Forget yeah. everything I said, Briar. Little men in black, like, tink. <laughs> yeah, but I'm excited about all these episodes, uh, new episodes. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, go back and listen to more or go forward and listen to more, depending when you listen to this. But uh, the number one thing that, that you guys can do is uh, tell people about the Drinking Horn Mead cast because that'll get it out into more people's ears. And then the second best thing you can do is to subscribe to the station and then write a review, even if it's good if it's bad i mean give us five stars even if it's bad but uh, but we'd love to hear from you like your your feedback mm. your input helps make our 
Meadcast that much better. Yeah. Take a couple seconds and, and comment. Say like, I was really interested in what you guys talked about, the science of bees uh, in different parts of the world. Boom. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do more research. We're going to go pull in some experts about that. And we're going to cater to the direction you guys are driving this this train. You drive this train. That's right. You're the fuel. Uh, I think we drive it and they're like the fuel. That's more important. I like that. We're going to go off the road. Driver can't get nowhere without fuel. No, and we go off the road a little bit, so that's our fault. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Good thing we got big tires. Yeah. (laughs) On our train. Train. Oh, I can hear hear the exit music starting now. (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, I think uh, we should uh, fill up a little bit more mead and uh, discuss where that train is going next. But thank you guys, everyone, for listening. And definitely send us your comments uh, through Instagram, Facebook, um, direct messages, wherever. We'll find it. And, um, yeah, go out and love those bees. Cuddle them. Go cuddle a bee. Go cuddle them. Well, all right, leave that bee the fuck alone. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. Don't, don't touch the bee. Yeah. Don't touch the bee. Don't do it. Just let them do their thing. All right, well, skull, man. Skull. Skull. Oh.